one. If you were looking at the top components in the S&P yesterday, you'd be like, why aren't we having a good day? Well, there's some factors going on under the hood that we're going to discuss with this. And it's, it's all about cash and it's all about debt. And if you got a lot of debt, you're going to get destroyed in this market, rising interest rate market. Who knows, 13.5% if you ask Rich Santelli. We'll dig into the details of this uh, of the debt and credit and cash. We'll talk about one earnings report, double upgrade at Hewlett-Packard. Ooh, we'll see if Warren sells into that. It's Tuesday. It doesn't look like we're tuning around Tuesday. It's pre-market prep. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I'm bidding a penny. I'd buy that stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Good morning, traders and investors. We got a good show lined up for you today. Let's run through some of the commodities and futures and get right to our topics. S&Ps, we got to start getting up at four in the morning. Uh, made that pre-market high near the interday high from yesterday, and we're slumping just off the low, down 22 and a half handles at 4301.75. The buck inflicting more pain on investors, up 23 cents, 106.84. Another leg down in the bond market uh, down almost a point 111 and a half crude losing its luster in the 80 handle now down 47 cents at 88.34 gold getting beat up with the buck and the rates too gold down 560 at 1841.60 silver over 23 on friday now coming close to 21 down 13 cents at 21.29 Bitcoin futures, they're down $475, giving back some of yesterday's gains at $27,675. I'm going to bring in Triple D here. Triple D, I, oh, you know how sometimes I send you a, a picture of my monitor, you know, because I have the top components up and then what the overall market's doing. And you saw the gains in some of the Apple, Microsoft, Google, Amazon, NVIDIA, of course, got the... Uh, uh, got the conviction by Meta was up and the market didn't care, Dennis. What is it? What is the big tech stocks and all the cash? You've got some separation here, and this is more just this is all on rates, it's not more on rates. It's everything is about long term rates here. They're talking about it nonstop, obviously, in the media. We're talking about it nonstop in the media. The trading action is all about rates right now and its impacts on companies here. Let's bring in Money Mitch because he needs to be a big part of this conversation as well because he has thoughts too. So Money Mitch, we're going to bring you in here right now. I mean, we've got, you know, this market that is basically separating here now. And what is getting hit the hardest is the companies with a lot of debt. It's getting hit the hardest. Why? Because they're going to have to pay more if rates stay up for a longer period of time. So let's start right with, and we're going to come back to oil and we'll get into all that all encompasses into it. But let's start right with the XLU because that was possibly one of the biggest down moves we have seen in the XLU in years. It was down 5% at one point in time yesterday, down basically, we're talking about 15% fall in six days. This is stuff that people are hiding in. This is stuff that's supposed to go up when the market gets you know into trouble. This is defensive, your classic defensive stuff. Utilities, drugs, staples, all defensive. That's the stuff that they're hammering. That's where the problems are. I mean, look at those stats. Money, Mitch, fantastic stats you're seeing here. But the performance in the last week, when is the last time we had utilities down 10% one week, Joel? Yeah. I mean, this is an incredible sell-off. And we warned about this because, you know, we were talking about the potential for, you know, people hiding here in these products and saying if rates are higher, obviously 3% dividends are not very attractive. The XLU dividend is not nearly as attractive as the cash yield. It's still only 3.81%. 
So it's a problem. Yes, I'm getting hit on the Enbridge. The Enbridge has an 8% dividend, but there's no prisoners here right now on XLU or any of this stuff. And the reason for that is they have a lot of debt. Utilities have a hell of a lot of debt. If you just want to do a fun exercise and you want to see the stocks getting hit the most, you think Enbridge is bad? Check out NEE, Nextera Energy, NEP, obviously parts of this as well, Nextera Energy Partners. And I mean, NEP is down 50% in four days. NEE, which is the biggest component in the XLU, the Kramer loved stock that he says you had to own at $85, has just lost 25% of its market cap in four days. This is a crash. This is an unbelievable crash in a very conservative stock. But what is the problem here? Go to your trusty Benzinga Pro and we will tell you what debt. the problem here is. Debt. It's debt. This company has $60 billion in debt. Six zero billion dollars in debt. It has a market cap of $100 billion. So basically, 60% of its market cap is all debt. What do banks have? A hell of a lot of debt. You know, they're getting hit hard here now too. What does Apple not have? It doesn't have a lot of debt. And people will say, oh yeah, they do. Look, Apple has a lot of debt. They have $98 billion in debt. What are you talking about, Denny? They have $2.7 trillion market cap. $98 billion and, and on $2.7 trillion dollar market cap is 3% of the market cap, if and I'm doing do that math right. where do they have that debt at? Where do they have that debt at? Do they have it in range? have it from... drop in the bucket for Apple. It's a yeah. small amount compared to the market cap and compared to their revenues. They'll just it's pay it off. in the bucket for NEE. So you can clearly see why the Magnificent 7 is really holding up well. Like NVIDIA, and people are going to argue me, oh, they do have debt. Yeah, a lot of these companies have debt. They have it just structured, you know. But, I mean, NVIDIA's debt is $8 billion. They have a $1 trillion market cap. They could do a share offering and pay off all their debt just like that. So, I mean, like the stock would go down 2% on a share offering, and they could just take that money and pay off the debt, and they wouldn't have to worry about it anymore. So there's a reason that the Magnificent 7 is actually holding up well, is that the majority of these companies, Tesla's its own stock, so you don't have to talk Tesla. And, but Tesla, even the debt in Tesla isn't that much anymore. So, I mean... You can clearly see that these companies are holding up well because they don't have debt. Microsoft, very little debt if they have any at all. Google's debt, you know, and I am ranting here, but I'm trying to make a point here and I'm going to let you guys talk. $1.7 trillion in market cap Google is $11 billion in debt. I mean, what is that? Like 0.5% of their market cap is debt compared to Nextera Energy, which is 60? So you can see which companies are being punished for higher rates, because if those rates stay higher, that is going to squeeze the hell out of all of their margins. That is why utility stocks are getting hit. That is why bank stocks are getting hit. This is why oil stocks are going to start to get hit. Oil stocks have been forgiven, but they have a lot of debt too. And I think oil stocks start to get hit here as well. Did make a new high on the recent move, even when oil did. So keep an eye there. But thoughts, guys, I mean, this is the reason why you're seeing the separation in stocks and people are like, why doesn't Apple sell off? Well, they don't have a hell of a lot of debt. And this is a debt problem. This is like a yield, yield problem. So when you've got this much debt on your books, like an Xterra Energy, and yields are flying high long term, they're like, oh, my gosh. Even if they're locked in, where are they going to have to refinance this debt? Uh, just uh, Jay put in here about Apple's debt. They issued 30-year debt at 1.5% three to four years ago. I mean, so when that, uh, I mean, 30 that's, years. That's an that, asset. Yeah. It is. That's an asset. It is. So, it is. I mean, it's, it and is. it's small, but that is an asset. So, it's same thing. Like, I borrowed money, you know, on my one rental property at 1.62% for five years. It's three years into it. That's an asset for the next two years. I can pay that off. That's like free money over there. I can throw it in it. And I am doing that. I'm throwing other cash into a GIC at 5.2. And this, and the same bank at Scotia Bank, I've got a GIC 5.2%. And they're paying me 5.2, and I'm paying them 1.64. I'm literally arbitraging the bank. A little arbitragey there, right? This is not good for the bank. No, not good for the banks. The banks, have, I mean, they've had uh, their own problems, right, with, uh, you know, the credit crisis. But, um, and, and we got to, you know, you got to acknowledge, I mean, you know, CNBC, uh, one of our competitors. I mean, Rick Santelli, I mean, he came on yesterday and, he thinks that this is this is just the beginning of great rises. He was calling for what thirteen and a half percent, fourteen and a half percent. In ten years, he thinks rates could go to thirteen percent. Uh well, S and P will be under a thousand by then. 
I it, mean, yeah. if, if, it, if it, it will be over. We won't. We won't Before we go to the Rick Santelli, because I want to rant about that too. Why don't get Money Mitch's thoughts here? Because you're okay. seeing the same type of market here. Mitch is young. He obviously yeah. didn't see, you know, rates back, you know, when they were higher. I started trading and the rates were, you know, elevated to even to above this when I started trading 1999. But the big difference was we just didn't have $33 trillion in debt and every consumer wasn't just laden with all this debt. So it's just a big difference here now. Money Mitch, I mean, you're a young guy here. What are your thoughts here? You can see, you know, rate, well, rates rising here. It, what are your thoughts? Yeah, let's go through what you just talked about. The first thing being that Megatech holding up yesterday. And uh, one thing that we can clearly see just even on this, and shout out to Finviz. I just grabbed this as an easy chart to look up. You guys can go into the groups and then go into performance to look at this. I look at this all the time to just kind of find where the rotation is going. You can see technology just kind of holding in for the week and then in the month down about, close to 6%, but just holding in here. And I think that that's what we're seeing is that where are where's the money hiding? The money's hiding in big tech and it's mm -hmm. still not getting wrecked, right? If that moment changes, we really need to be careful, there right? You know, we start yeah. to see NVIDIA change uh, some of the big leaders right now, then we got to be careful because that's what's holding it up. And then I look at what normally you would go to in a time of uh, uncertainty, right? You'd probably look at defensives, right? but not in this environment. And then for utilities to go down 10%, and it felt like it was just yesterday. It wasn't really the week, right? I mean- It felt like yesterday. Yeah. Yesterday, right? That was 10% right there. And this doesn't happen in normal uncertainty environments. Normally we look for safety. There is no safety right now. The safety is what? Just hold your cash. That's the only thing you can do right now. And in this type of market, it gets really difficult because even in healthcare where you think maybe our right, GARF, maybe we're looking at growth at reasonable value, even that's not moving. So where do you go? Because I don't see too much more in technology for the year. I mean, we're still up 34% for the year, 31% relative. So I don't see too much more in tech. Where, where do you go in this market? I think they're hiding. The reason they're hiding in tech is for those reasons that I cited is that there's very little debt in a lot of these companies and they're based so the margins are really high. I mean, some of these companies have 30, 40% margin. Some of these, you know, other companies are getting squeezed. The margins are getting squeezed. And I mean, if, if you could have predicted, you know, this incredible long-term rate sell-off here three or four weeks ago, it was money to be made by shorting all these stocks, but is it over? That's a question. I mean, if Rick Santelli, and let's talk about his scenario, he's talking about rates eventually going to 13% over the course of the next 10 years. If that comes to fruition, to your point, Joel, is the stock market just is going to get hammered. Maybe it can uh. go slowly and try to figure it out, but we're just so levered. I mean, I just can't see how it's even possible. But I mean, I guess in anything is possible, but you know, I think it's like more of a headline to grab, like more of a, you know, saying that to grab headlines. You know, everybody's talking about it today. They had them on Squawk Box this morning. CNBC's, you know, viewership has been dropping and dropping. We know that. So they need to do stuff like this to try to grab headlines and they're grabbing some headlines here. So, and it, we're talking about it. I mean, it's a bold call. I don't think there's any chance rates go up, but are yeah. rates done? That's the question. You know, I, I came on here three or four days and felt we were near the peak of the cycle. Well, now I'm questioning that because of the action in XLU. I mean, we're I'm telling me, like, we're seeing deleveraging of all debt assets here. And that is a concern. And, you know, as a trader, you have the luxury to change your mind. As a trader, as a long-term money manager, you're managing billions of dollars, it's hard to come in and out. you got price impact of 2 3% when you're moving stuff. You can't just get in and out in one trade. As a trader, we have that luxury. So take advantage of that luxury. I, in all likelihood, will sell my TLT today. I, I bought it at 87.50. I looked at where I bought it. I got paid a little dividend. I think it was like 28 cents. So I'm averaged in like 87 a quarter. So I'm down a buck on it. I'm probably going, it's probably the best dollar loss I can take because it looks like I'm early on the call. I'm off and early. I feel like I'm early. I think if you're buying TLT for the next 10 years, I think you're going to be fine. But it, I'm obviously early. How do you know you're early? You're losing money. So I'm early on the trade. But when I see action happening in the XLU, I thought utilities could get hit, but I didn't think they're going to get hit this hard. Something else is going on. So when I see that, it makes me like think like, maybe we aren't at the peak cycle. So I'll retract, you know, my opinion from three days ago, thinking we were close to a peak cycle. You can't have action like the XLU happening and be at peak cycle. Maybe that was capitulation and maybe this is the bottom and maybe I'll be selling TLT at the bottom here today. 
Um, but I think you've just got to be cautious here because obviously rates want to go higher. I'll go ahead and add to that conversation, of course, using the CME Fed tool here. You guys can see that uh, about a, a week ago, we were at 83% of the current policy, right? Not getting that interest rate to go higher. Now we're starting to decline. We're going towards 72 and 74%, but only it seems like a 25% chance for another 25 basis points. Do you think the CME Fed tool has it right this time or could they possibly have it wrong? If long-term rates keep going up like this, there's no chance the Fed even raises the next meeting. Because this is like yeah, right now, to. this long-term rates is a serious issue here. Fed controls the long-term, the short-term. They can't control the long-term. So, I mean, this is it right now hammering stocks. They can't have stuff like this happening. So, I think like worrying about the Fed is not even worth worrying about right now. We got to worry about what is happening with the Yeah, the, 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 the long it's, There's end. bigger issues yeah. than the Fed here right now. And this is maybe bigger than the Fed. So I do think if you're buying utility stocks here, I do think, you know, if you're nibbling into some stuff, I think five years from now, you're happy. Maybe in five months from now, from you're happy. But it is completely catching a falling knife right now. And I cannot believe that sell off yesterday. And like Nextera Energy, just going back to that one, oh, I know man. I'm repeating myself here, but it's important to understand. NEE is a stock that typically moves 50 cents a day. Yeah, it just like lost that. 15 points in three trading sessions. You know, Enbridge is a stock that typically moves 50 cents a day, and I'm long Enbridge. I'm going to hold Enbridge because, one, it's got an 8% dividend, which is a lot higher than most of them. Two is I know it's the biggest utility company in Canada. I pay them bills all the time, and I don't think Enbridge is going out of business. But three, the reason it is going right down right now is Enbridge has a lot of debt, and they just took on more debt to do that deal, which they're regretting probably right about now because, obviously, you know, if you're looking at the debt, I mean, they have $70 billion in debt and a $70 billion market cap. That's even worse shape than you know, NEE when we're looking on on that. So obviously raising right rates is hammering these stocks and maybe, you know, they should be getting hammered because I don't think anybody predicted these rates going up like this, this quickly. It's like everyone has the, uh, the inflation numbers that are coming out, uh, you know, next week. It's like, it's a, you know, it's a foregone conclusion uh, that, you know, that they're, they're going to be bad or maybe not even, I mean, maybe just, Maybe even if they're not good enough, if they're flat. I mean, the market has said, you know, it, it takes on certain personalities at certain times and then has, has, has this kind of momentum. And uh, I'm not even sure if the good inflation numbers are going to come. And then, if you know, after that, then we, we fall in the Q3 earnings season. We're really, the market is really at a precarious state after having just a, such a wonderful year. I mean, it's still an excellent year so far. And, you know, every... Everything just seems like doom and gloom. So psychology of the market is so important. And, and and you're completely wrong with it's an excellent year here because Joel always has his S&P blinders on. This has been an absolute disastrous year for a lot of stocks. You have a lot of stocks. Yesterday, Joel, the S&P was flat. There was 450 of the 500 stocks were down. That's the truth. Go look it up. You have 90% of the index is down and it's flat because it's so heavily weighted. Those non, those non, those companies that don't have a lot of debt. So, I mean, it's just a very poor indicator for the overall market. A very, very poor indicator. All right. For, if you're in the triple Qs, it's been a good year. It's been a it's been a good year. Again, there it's the same seven stocks though, Joel. It's the magnificent seven. And Mitch knows it. It's the same stocks. Bring up the IWM. The IWM is almost at its 52 week low. We're not even that far from it. We're almost at 2023 lows. That's a diversified look. Look at the XBI. Tell me it's having a good year. It's making new 2023 lows. There's, you know what? How many biotech companies, small biotech companies in there? I'll have a lot of debt. It's all got something in common. You can see the stuff getting hit. So what we try to do on this show is identify patterns. You can clearly see. People are asking and head scratching. Why is Enbridge going down? Why is the XLU? You know, people saying, oh, they're worried about, you know, what you were saying, the, you know, the, the thing. No, they're not. It's debt. There's a lot of debt in there and rates are just ratcheting up. So you can see clearly, clearly, clearly which stocks are getting hitting the most. It's the ones with the most debt. So until long-term rates start to turn around, these are the stocks that are getting hammered. And banks are going to get hammered too because they have a lot of debt as well. Bank America, new 2023 low right there sitting on it. KRE is giving back all the gains, you know, so we're looking at those too. 
I mean, we've got to analyze. This has been a good year if you've been in the Magnificent Seven and a few other choice tech stocks. It's been a very crappy year if you've been in anything else. And it just goes to show us, right, uh, the concentration in the bigger names, right? So if those change tunes, that's when I'm definitely going to be careful. And I think that that's what we need to keep watch now. Uh, of course, with oil moving down, that's also going to start playing into this. And are we running into now deflationary pressures also with the slowing of the consumer? Because I think that this will actually help inflation really finally start taking its way towards that 2%, right? Because we're actually starting to see the slowdown now. I think oh, it's coming. It's you here. You imagine if long-term rates go to 6 7 8%, you won't have to worry about inflation. Nobody will be buying anything. It's going to be tight credit, really tight credit. So I this think that's is, what we're in for. This, this is what's happening. You're getting these longer-term rates going up. And, you know, if you go to 13%, you don't have to worry about inflation oh, at yeah. all. Inflation will be dead, man. There ain't anybody buying stuff. I mean, like, this is where it's, this is what kills inflation is higher interest rates. The long-term rates going off like this, this is an inflation killer, man. This will punish, but not labor inflation. So maybe I got to check that. It'll, it'll kill demand for products, but then everybody says, I need but more money because I'm paying more. So so maybe it doesn't kill. It only kills the product inflation, not the labor inflation, which squeezes companies even more. So you're in a perfect storm here for a lot of companies here selling stuff. So it is a concern. With that being said, tech is a safe haven because they don't have a lot of debt. That'll just sum it up there. And I'm not saying I'm hiding there. I'm just saying that is why people are hiding there. Are we going to see more disasters also show up in the banking industry? Because I've been pointing towards that, but it feels like nobody's really kind of keeping their their close eye on KRE that just keeps leaking, leaking, and leaking. Bank of America really close to making another low where it was at the regional height, like when things were actually breaking down. Look at that chart. That to me is scary looking charts. You see City at below the regional concern. And so things like this, if the global banks are going to start getting hit, I saw JPM take a big hit yesterday. Um, I actually was able to play that short on the downside, got in and out, just took my money and ran. But I'm, I'm going to continue watching these banks to see if we keep getting downside because tech can hold this up for so long, though. If we start getting negatives in the banks, we get negatives in the utilities, the healthcare is turned around, where an energy turns around, I think this market is almost leaning towards the bear side now. Do you want to see a fun exercise? Bank America, long-term debt, $286 billion. Market mm. cap's 212. The banks, you want to talk about like things that are debt? levered. Oh, nothing. Man. Nothing is levered more than the banks. So if you're coming in here and saying, yeah, I'm buying banks on this dip, you're not listening to the market here because that is the stuff that is going to get hit the most if rates keep going up so i mean yeah oh they say oh yeah but you know they're going to be able to sell and lend out at a higher rate so it's going to be good for them well now when everybody's got their mortgage locked in at three percent they're born nah, at 10 so that's a difference scary man and it's that all is. about it's all about the uh you know when when these things come to you know maturity right when when you know when the tranches come up that are marked to market you know a lot of them are just and i think that was the big concern with schwab uh, when it had the big decline is that they you know they just were sitting tight and they had all this debt and they if they had to liquidate the, the fear was if they had to liquidate it would happen it did get that nice pop but you know boom coming right back down it's just you don't know what these companies are holding you don't know the yields you don't know when they're gonna have to uh to re-up and with rates at these points i mean it's like they they've probably they've like locked in just some staggering losses here that they're they're not going to get back, even if the Fed, you know, holds steady here. It doesn't even go up a quarter point. Those losses are real. Those losses are locked in. There's no way to get those losses off the books. And I mean, we've been talking about fuel prices being the issue with the airlines here. But now they have a whole new can of worms here because they have a lot of debt too. American Airlines, $30 billion in debt. They have an $8 billion market cap. This is a serious thing going to hit on the bottom line if these rates start mm -hmm. going up for them too. So, I mean, rates have already been going up short term, but now the long term goes up. I mean, obviously, you know, they're boring short term. So, you know, maybe, but I mean, you start looking and that doesn't do anything to alleviate. So as rates continue to rise, 
all of these companies that have a hell of a lot of debt, casinos. I mean, there are so many examples, so many companies that are just, you know, have so much debt that have operated and have had this ridiculous profit margins for so long because their interest rate, you know, they can borrow money so cheap. Well, those days maybe are numbered, at least in the short term here. And that Mm -hmm. is an issue. What about what about uh, Carnival Cruise Lines? Oh, don't even. You want to know Carnival Cruise Lines? We're just going Trusty Benzinger Pro, all this information. <laughs> I bet you. $29 I billion you. Dollars in debt, $17 billion market cap. It gets twice as much d- debt than they have market cap. I was going to say double. They're stuck with that debt for a very long time. Yeah. And people will say, why well, you look at market cap, the thing, you know, because it doesn't matter. It does matter. Because in an environment where Microsoft can issue an offering and pay off all their debt tomorrow, Carnival Cruise Lines could never do that. They yeah, don't even have, have value. Even close to that. They, they are stuck with that debt. They have money. no out. They have that debt on their books forever. And if it goes up too much and you can't service the interest, you go bankrupt. So, I mean, oil squeezing them. So, record, you know, and then and then all of a sudden, if the, the consumers have, you know, less money to spend because they're obviously the debt payments are higher, then their demand goes down and then you got real problems. You can see how this can just snowball and you can start to see how mega cap tech, which I've been bearish on, and maybe I shouldn't be, but you can kind of see how mega cap tech is in a completely different situation. They can, you know, if demand goes down a little bit and they have a couple tough quarters, they'll be fine. Demand goes down for Carnival Cruise Lines and have a couple tough quarters, they'll be bankrupt. So, I mean, they got to have records, you know, they got to have record people on those ships because they can't service the debt otherwise. Zoltan in the chat saying that, oh oh my God, this sounds horrific. And it really is not about sounding horrific. It's just more about painting the environment we're in right now, right? And that we're we're in a tougher environment right now. Things can always change, but at least for the current moment, things are going to be tougher than they were in the first half, right? We can clearly see that. And now we need to see where's the light at the end of the tunnel here, right? How far out is that light? Is it in the first half of 2024, the second half? Is it in the third quarter, the fourth quarter? Because that's really what's going to determine kind of the longer term outlook, I think, here for stocks, especially if we're talking long term. And then you can move to the gold-silver conversation. And people are like, we're in a defensive environment. Why is gold going down? Peter Schiff could not be more wrong. Do you understand why gold and silver is going down? You know what the yield on gold and silver is? Zero. You hold a big gold bar. Oh, cool. Well, those cost you 4% every month or 5% every month. Or if they go to Rick Santelli every year, 13% a year. You start adding it up. Stocks that have zero yield means zero. Gold, zero. It's this gold. Has no cash flow. Has no anything. Just holding these gold bars and hoping inflation brings it up. Well, if rates go up and inflation starts going down, that's not good for gold. Yield is a zero on your GLT, zero on your SLV. Why do you want to own zero yield when you're getting 5.5% in the bank? That doesn't sound very attractive to me. So the people who are hiding out in gold and silver like Peter Schiff maybe didn't consider that zero yield suck in an environment where you're going up to five, six percent. What about the yield in Bitcoin? Zero. Same thing. Okay. Zero. Speculative I, asset. I mean, I yep. guess, you know, they can remember they could have Bitcoins and you can lend out your money and the cryptos will say, well, that worked well with all those other, you know, I don't even want to get into all that conversation. But I mean, in this environment here, it's all about, you know, it's honestly about cash to a certain extent. Like it's been about cash and we've been talking, about, I've got 50% of my money in cash. Maybe it should have been 100% cash. I'm glad I moved all those utility stocks to cash, you know, a year ago though, obviously way early on that trade, but it was the right move because now if you're in all those utility stocks, you're like, oh my God, Enbridge, my only bad one, which I recently bought, which maybe I should eat. I'm down like 9% on it now. I didn't buy it, you know, two years ago. I bought it um, you know, two two weeks ago, really, or not two months ago, probably. And I had the nice little lift up, but then they had the deal. Now they got a lot of debt. So, I mean, sometimes you got to reanalyze stuff and sometimes you got to eat losses. Enbridge, again, it's about percentage of your portfolio. It's not like 100% of my money is in Enbridge. 2% of my, you know, accounts in Enbridge, 2% or something like that. So I'm like, do I want to eat it? Do I want to lose a loss? Do I want to like have some exposure? Because maybe this stuff turns around. You know what solves it all is if rates just start going the other way. That solves all these problems. So I don't know how the Fed starts getting them going the other way now, though. But it would start by not raising next quarter on the short term. Yeah, I I don't think they're they're going to be able to. Dash, you also talked about the setup and uh, uh, the PFF 
uh, a while ago. And uh, I don't know if you were looking at the 30 or the $31 area, but you were just, you were very, very convicted on that one. And that, that there you go. It's coming That's down. Just, uh, yep. It's coming you know, down. This stuff here, again, 7% dividend, but full of bank preferreds, full of other stuff. But 7% is, you're starting to get like, you're, 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 get, you're getting paid a little bit. I mean, four and a half in cash, seven here, way better than like a Coke. But again, it holds a bunch of bank preferred, some regional preferred. So there's risk, there's credit risk in there a little bit all of a sudden. So, I mean, you know, that that's an issue. I don't like the PFF here either. But, you know, when somebody's saying say something positive, well, we're saying something positive. This is why NVIDIA and those stocks are holding up. You know, we're, 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 we're painting a picture here of what is happening because people don't understand what is happening. I don't think they understand it on CNBC. What is happening is they're hammering stocks with debt. And they're forgiving all stocks that don't have a hell of a lot of debt. What doesn't have a lot of debt? The Magnificent Seven. So, I mean, and that's I, why those stocks are holding up. And, and just uh, and the other thing, too, and that, like when you're looking at these stocks and, and uh, like this NEE and you're thinking, oh, man, 70 to 52. I mean, I, I just I just got to buy this thing. I mean, it's just Look a ridiculous move. So, yeah, standard when you see these kind of things happen in, in whether it's a stock or a commodity or whatever it is, it takes a long time for it to, re to reverse itself. There's a lot of institutions. There's a lot of big money that are stuck on these things and they're going to be coming out. So it's not, you know, it's not something that's going to be cured and, you know, a good inflation number or, I mean, of course, earnings can happen. But, you know, just be aware that when you're just trying to catch a falling knife in these things, first of all, it could continue for who knows how long. And then yes, when it, it does can. turn, when it does turn, man, you're going to have you're going to have competition that are people trying to get out from much higher prices. Well, you've got people buried. You have overhead supply issues. You have all kinds of issues here now in the utilities. And again, I mean. The yields aren't that great here. The XLU yield is 3.81%. Look at the risk you're taking on for that 3.8. Enbridge was dividend was eight. I was going after a bigger dividend. Maybe that was a mistake, you know, but it doesn't matter. It didn't matter which utility stock you bought. You got hammered in all of them. If you're buying a utility stock, you got punished in the last couple of weeks. And rightfully so. I should be punished because, you know, I should have predicted that, you know, long-term rates were going higher. Wish I had the crystal ball to predict everything, but you can always change your mind. Are we going to see more of this? This is interesting news. It just hit. Macy's unveils plans of opening up 30 small format stores. I think we're going to see a lot more of this as we continue to see, you know, higher theft issues and things like that. Then we're already concerned about interest rates. Why not just open smaller stores, right? That can save you on a lot of different things and save you on wage inflation. It's a lot of things that it can help. I like that idea. I, I like that idea. The issue with Macy's, and this is what people always bought the stock for. Like, look at all the real estate they own. Look at what that's worth. You know what all that real estate's worth? A hell of a lot less than it was two years ago. All this commercial big box real estate that they own. That's worth a hell of a lot less than it was. We've seen what's happened. REITs are, we even talk REITs. They're just a complete disaster here. I think it's the right move. I think they should have made this move five years ago. So maybe it's too little too late for Macy's, you know, and the same exercise, bring up Macy's. You want to know what has a lot of debt? Macy's, long-term debt, $3 billion, market cap, $3 billion. So basically their entire market cap is debt. So that's an issue. I mean, PE is three, four. But again, if the consumer slows down and they start, you know, not spending as much, that's an issue too. Labor inflation going to be there. A lot of issues going to be there for the Macy's. There's a reason that these stocks are very suppressed. Also, Lilly has agreed to acquire Point Pharma at $12.50 per share in cash, aggregating in approximately $1.4 PNT. Lilly has been starting to show signs of weakness, at least from the strength that it had. I mean, it's just a, a little bit of weakness when you look at the bottom right chart, right, of course. But can this pull back a little bit further? I think it could maybe get into that gap zone to the left on the daily. We'll see what happens. Lily, a lot of debt too. They do have a lot of market cap. So they could issue, you know, if they needed to get out from underneath some of that debt, I'm sure they could issue some stock and get out of it. And that's why we keep doing this exercise. You know, it's a good exercise to do. We don't normally have to do this. When rates are flying like this, we got to see what is their capacity to service that debt. So Carnival has no, no hope. They can't do, I'm not saying the stock's hopeless, but there's no way for them to get out from under that debt. The debt is stuck to them. Lily could issue some stock and get out of most of that debt. So it's in a little bit better shape. Some of these other firms, stock, 
are not that lucky. They don't have that kind of market cap, but they're not crazy. It's not like we were looking at the utilities where they're setting up a 60, 80% of the market cap in debt. I mean, some of these are 10%, 5%, 20%, a little bit better. Lily's just been in a bubble because everybody thought this weight loss drug is going to change the world. And maybe it is, but it's just, it's so bubblicious here, you know, and now that bubble is breaking head and shoulders pattern. I think rallies to be sold in Lily. Uh, tough chart on Lily. It's been going down. It hasn't really found a great level of support. Uh, down above 29 on this deal. I mean, really, there's no, there's an area, if you're looking for another area ahead of the gap, it's closer to the uh, parallels at the 517 dollars $518 area. But what your problem is here is like, look at even you had a couple days of consolidation after the 600 to 550 drop. But now everyone's lining up at 550, right? So then you come down a little bit lower. The lower their offers down, maybe today, the lower them down to 540. People are still still sitting on, uh, you know, still sitting on some huge gains even with this decline. So uh, not that great support uh, and a big old gap to fill in Lily. All right, let's go to our guest today. You guys smash that like. Angie Setzer, founder of Constant's Ag and Consulting. Angie, talk us off the cliff here. I don't know if you've been on. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I can. No? Yeah, that's that's the scary part, right? <laughs> right, yeah. So well, how are you guys about, this morning? I mean, we're good. The only thing is uh, we see a lot of turbulence out there right and i feel yeah. like there's a, a lot of concern of course uh inflation we can talk about that and kind of kick it off with that we've been seeing it trending in the right direction but can it get actually back to where it was that'd be my question to start with well i mean that's the question that we ask in grains all the time like my farmers and i are having this conversation right like what's the new low and so when i started in in 2005 um you know, we were around $2 corn or whatever, and, and we had the, the 2008 rally and, and saw this sort of new plateau that had come in. And, and so that's been the conversation of like, is is $5 corn uh, the new four? Is 450 corn the, the new 350? You know, what are we seeing here? Um, and that seems to be a kind of common conversation, right? Like, do we see oil stay um, in this sort of 70 to, to 90 type range or something of that nature. And obviously those, um, you know, raw commodity costs will have an influence on, on what consumers are paying at the, the store or, or at the pump or, or what have you. And so, yeah, does inflation stay in place or what do we do that, that kind of breaks the, the last leg that we need to, um, you know, to get us back to those, those quote unquote normal prices. So we talk about, uh, you know, the, the recent price action and probably nothing moves the, the grain markets more than uh, the USDA reports that uh, that come out. Uh, could you just uh, give us a quick summation of what uh, of what those reports came out and uh, the implications moving forward? Yeah, so we got, you know, we get a, our, our share of reports this time of year. A lot of times we get a better idea of what we're looking at from a production standpoint. The USDA has, you know, a, a, a wide net that they cast when it comes to going out and kind of checking yields and, and plots and, and fields across the country. They ask farmers, they ask, you know, grain elevators, people that, you know, around the industry you know, what we're seeing from a, a production standpoint. And so in the month of October, you know, we'll get an update on, on production here in another week, uh, week and a half. Um, but prior, you know, last week we had a quarterly stocks number. And so for us, what that means is just basically it kind of reconciles um, the one branch of the USDA, the, 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 the economic side um, with the actual statistics side. And so Friday's numbers gave us an indication or gave us kind of confirmation of what we had left over at the end of the crop year for corn and soybeans last year. Soybeans came in higher than expected. And so that kind of caught some traders off guard. And that's, a, it's been part of a trend. And that's been part of the reason that you've seen soybeans fall off so much is as of late, a lot of traders have been expecting sort of this bullish shot in the arm, you know, when it comes to, to the data that we're getting from the USDA or, or even, you know, from a weekly export standpoint or something of that nature. And we're just, we didn't see it. We've seen kind of every time we think we we are going to see a reduction in, in projected ending stocks, the USDA kind of comes out and says, wait, 
you know, not so fast. And reality is, you know, boots on the ground, actual trades that are taking place in, in soybeans, you know, kind of continue to indicate that demand is is far weaker than what we're used to seeing. And, and so, you know, Friday's report just kind of confirmed what we're already sensing when you look at spreads in the market structure and kind of that build of carry you've got the the nov jan bean spread trading at its wide, widest level in like 20 years or more um you know a lot of these things where the market's really kind of saying hey keep those that supply out of the pipeline on corn it was actually a bullish surprise the usda lowered ending stocks more than what you know traders were anticipating but it just kind of got wrapped up in in wheat getting sold off because we found some more supply there and we've seen a really poor world market, you know, world demand structure on the wheat side of things, um, and corn got caught beans. We saw that recover yesterday, but really when it comes down to it, the number came in lower than what traders were anticipating at the end of last week, but it's still just kind of, we have a 2 billion bushel carryout projected for new crops. So when it comes down to it, we're not really looking at running out of supplies and we're just waiting to get confirmation that the crop is there like we thought it may be. Let's take us to the meats, the meats. What's going on here, right? Are we starting to see a little bit of some topping because we could all use the help at the grocery stores. Right. Definitely inflation is taking over. I mean, people probably moving the hot dogs pretty soon, but what are you seeing, Angie? Yeah, I think, you know, when it comes down to it, it's sort of a similar sort of mindset. If we lose that sort of money flow support that we've seen, if speculators decide that it's really not worth it for them to pile in, um, you know, you'll see the same thing that we've seen in, in corn, soybeans and wheat, where the money flow, you know, kind of moving out and looking to move in, into more of a short position as opposed to what we've seen with the continual sort of buying. Um, you know, you, you, you lose that sort of push from behind and, and we start to just go back to, to what a normal market will be, which is relatively thin and, and not at the levels that you would traditionally see us trading. And so, there's a lot of questions, a lot of conversation about what happens, you know, and the, the the cattle herd is the lowest, the beef beef herd is the lowest that we've seen in, in decades. Um, and that's not something you snap your fingers, you know, like you can replenish a poultry supply relatively quickly, like a bird from hatching to, to being ready to, to go into the market is just a handful of months. The same could be said for a hog. A cow is 18 months to two years. And so especially with us seeing, you know, the feed costs increasing and, and just Basically, it, it's very costly to keep a, a cow back, a heifer back or whatever, and there's such value in selling them too. We've seen heifer retention rates down big time. So you're not even talking about how long it takes a cow into the harvest cycle to become meat. You're also talking about how long it takes to get a cow into the breeding cycle. Um, and so then you're, you're, you know, you're 36 months when it comes down to it from being ready to breed to producing a, a cow that's able to make it into the the meat supply. And so you're probably going to see beef prices remain really elevated. Um, you know, one of the things that we see though with beef demand is, is it's primarily hamburger driven. And so we can import cheaper cuts, which no one wants to hear, but the market is what the market is. Um, and so I think you're probably going to see some, you know, consolidation and, and probably some pressure in that market if we don't see folks kind of continue to ramp up this sort of inflation trade idea that we've been seeing for so long. Oh, Joel, you're on mute, but don't worry. As long as we don't go to uh, beyond me, Angie, I'll be all right. Uh, I, 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 can't, I can't handle that. I need a good steak every now and then. Uh, yeah. Joel, what you got for us? I was just going to ask about the wheat market. I mean, if you were buying oh, wheat hand tough. over fist, I know Mitch was what, buying it. What happened? A, Ukraine, 15, the war. Yeah. What happened? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, if you talk about conventional wisdom just not working out here, talk mm -hmm. about the wheat. I mean, uh, you know, we just don't need wheat anymore. What's going on? What's the situation in the wheat market? So the wheat market is a perfect example of everything being worth what the cheapest physical supply is sold for, right? Like, basically, it doesn't matter what kind of story you want to tell. If Russia's selling wheat for under $7 a bushel into the world market, and they're trying to ship a million metric tons of wheat to meet their export requirements, you're, you're, you're going to see the market kind of continue to remain under pressure. And so that's one of the things that we've seen is that Russia kind of supported the, the wheat market with these floors in place. But the problem that we saw last week is that Romania, Bulgaria, a lot of countries that have been taking a lot of Ukrainian wheat in and had relatively decent production years themselves, 
you know, they kind of came in and said, all right, fine, Russia, we're not going to let you maintain this price floor. We're going to undercut you by five bucks a ton and sell this business, sell this wheat into Egypt. And so basically right now what we're running into in grains on an overall standpoint is a lot of our importers for both corn and wheat you know, are, are broke. They don't have money. It's costing an extreme amount of, of cash for them to, to hold on to supplies. They don't have it. You know, they're, they're trying to finance their debt. They have all of these things going on. So they're very much buying hand to mouth for one. For two, like I said, Russia's got a massive amount of exportable supply. Portions of it have obviously been taken from Ukraine. So they're able to sell it for basically free. Um, you're looking at, you know, EU supplies are, are considered burdensome. U.S. wheat exports are a third, you know, down by a third of what they were a year ago. It looks like we could use lose another 100 million, ex, 100 million bushels in exportable um, demand or export demand. And so there's a lot of things in wheat that kind of continue to pressure it in the cash market more than anything. And it goes back to, like I said, money flow, you know, money flow rules everything right now in commodities. And so the other thing is the speculator is not going to step in and buy the front month when there's 30 cents worth of carry. You're going to get absolutely destroyed in trying to roll that out. And so there's a lot of different things that are happening that we're just not getting the interest in the cash market itself says that the end user doesn't necessarily need to be buying futures to hedge their risk either. The supplies remain plentiful. And if Russia's out of the market, then Europe can step in. And if Europe's not available, then the U.S. And, you know, really, when it comes down to it, we just we're not running food right now. What about weather? And the last thing, and I'll let you go after this. I mean, 85 degrees here in Michigan. I'm still <laughs> haven't put a pair just wearing the shorts and the t-shirts and stuff talk talk about you know the 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 impact of of the weather and uh you know with you know this uh prolonged summer didn't have the greatest summer but uh this heat here yeah i mean for us right now on the farm side of things in michigan my farmers are breathing a sigh of relief we were really nervous we'd have an early frost at the end of the week last week with the full moon we didn't. And so now we're probably going to make it into this weekend. And so that extra 10 days is going to provide us some time to really kind of finish the crops. Um, heat and dryness this time of year is is never really, um, we're never really sad about it, I guess you could say, in, in agriculture here in the Northern Hemisphere, just because it allows you to get the crops off relatively decently and, and able to get them dried down in decent condition and, and put away. Um, a wet harvest is a nightmare. You know, we had we've had a few of them before that last into Christmas time, and that's the last thing you want to see. We do need to start replenishing soil moisture, especially in the western corn belt, and we do need to see some rainfall here in the eastern corn belt to help with soft wheat. You know, we've we've had winter wheat planting last month, and we'll see that continue, you know, through the end of this month. And so we do want to get some shots of moisture and things like that, but from an overall standpoint. This summer has been a, a mess when it comes to weather. We went here in Michigan from our driest stretch of weather from the end of May to the middle of June to our wettest stretch of wet weather from the first part of July to the middle of, of August. And so it's it's been a crazy year. Um, yields will likely be variable. There's going to be pockets where yields will come in less than expected. We'll see some test weight reductions, and that'll have some implications on overall supply in the Western Corn Belt because of the heat and dryness that we finished the crop with out there. But from an overall standpoint, really, our attention is going to turn to South America or, yeah, South America now. What's going on in Brazil? They're going to be planting this month. What's happening in Argentina? They're still dry. They had a, a, an epic drought last year. Um, and so now in the northern hemisphere, we're just happy to be bringing the crops in and we'll be waiting to see if it rains in the, the southern hemisphere. Angie Setzer, the goddess of grain on Twitter, sharing her outlook on the, the grain markets. Thanks a lot, Angie. We'll dial you up again real soon. Thanks for having me. All right. Always great to have Angie. Let's get back to the markets. Let's go to some ratings here. Let's go to Solar Edge trading lower after Barclays downgraded the stock uh, to overweight. Uh, from overweight to equal weight here and lowering its price target to 274. Uh, it was 274. It's going to 152. This is a big cut here. It seems like to me they're late to the party um, here and they're just trying to correct themselves. Uh, so we'll see what happens. We've been talking about the disaster that's going on in solar, but also yeah. this plays into the conversation that we had earlier, right? With rates and things like that. You guys... What are you guys seeing in Solar Edge? I mean, it, it's down off the downgrade. That I mean, that absolutely no help to you here when uh, you had a target at two forty. I mean, it's about it's about debt, and here's you know these solar companies got a lot of debt. So 
traded down. I don't. I mean, it's not even about cool. that, Joel. So here you got to even look deeper. You can look at and say, oh, Solar Edge doesn't have that much debt. It's only got six hundred million against a seven billion dollar market cap. But the consumers of these products have to borrow to do the projects. So these projects are not nearly as attractive at six, seven percent interest rates as they are at two percent rates. So you have to almost look at what kind of you know when you're buying this product. It's like when you're going to you know buy a car. You've got to finance that. When you're doing a big solar project, you've got to finance that. So anything you've got to finance as a consumer is an issue. So this is going to kill their demand more than anything. So it's not even an issue that these companies do have some debt. But the bigger issue is that their consumers of their product have to issue debt to be able to finance these projects to buy their products. That's a bigger issue. And then, and if with their paying, you know, if they have to pay that much more to do the project, and it really where's the cost savings come in, right? I mean, there's not not nearly the the cost savings that they were looking for. So you're going to mean to be giving these things for free soon if they want people to have them. So I think that's what you're going to have to see more subsidies, things like that. If we're going to see, and where do these subsidies keep coming from here, Mitch? I mean, we've got the you know we've got the U.S. debt at 33 trillion dollars. That's going to be more expensive to service going forward. So anything that gets a lot of government subsidies has problems here too. Again, you come back and you think, what can I invest in here? It goes right back to the seven stocks that were trading higher yesterday. Yeah, it kind of makes sense. That's what you have. That's what you have for growth, right? I mean, at least it makes for me not want to be short. Positive Apple. outlook. I'm at short Apple right now. Maybe I cover it today. Maybe I don't want to be short Apple because there's nowhere else to go. Cash yeah. and cash look, and Apple. That's look at pretty tan. much the safe stuff. And you think the ETF wouldn't be that as bad, but look at the tan. And uh, this is why I try to avoid the tan. I, every time I played this, man, it's just been a disaster for me. Um, not not where I want to be right now. Um, it's not looking good there. Let's go to HBQ of double upgrade here from Bank of America. Looks like they didn't look into the filings yesterday because Warren Buffett's on the selling game here. He sold another 51 Two five million shares here at an average price of twenty five seventy six. Warren's wanting out. Bank of America wants in. Who's right here? Uh Bank of America is wrong. So Warren <laughs> Warren actually is usually always ends up being right in a lot of cases here. I mean HPQ. If Warren is and Warren is just starting to warm, you know, he has so much stock. If he really wants to continue to liquidate this thing, he sold another. So if we go, he's overnight. He sold how much more, Mitch? You can show it from the Benzinga yeah. Pro. Five five million uh, one hundred and twenty-five thousand six hundred and thirty-eight shares. He's dumping five million shares, it seems like every day. I mean, what's yeah. the daily volume on HPQ, Joel? It was That's eight point five. It was eight point five yesterday. Eight point five million. And Warren, did, let's just go to the pro. He dumped five million. Was it? it was, maybe it was from the day before. Let's go look. Well, still, the, I, I yeah, want to look the, at the filing itself. So I'm looking okay. at the filing. I'm jumping right in. He sold over three right days. Here. He sold over three days. Okay. Yeah, show it, money, Mitch. So he did sell it over three days. Filing. So he doesn't want to be like. 70 or 80 percent of the volume but if you look down you can go into the filing it actually yeah, was over the course the of three days Boom, but he's like 20 percent of the sell volume every day you think he ain't licking his chops into this upgrade and selling do you honestly think he's not looking at this and saying oh thank you bank of america i can dump some more stock give me a little bit of you know up volume here so i don't just press it down the whole time i don't think he's done i don't think he's even close to done so you get a pop here. It's going to be short-lived because you got the warrant. As much as Oxy was the buy button at 56.58, this sell button on the HPQ is like seems to be anywhere. He just keeps selling it. And even when as it's going lower, he wants the hell out. So if you're buying bank, if you're buying Heel Packard on a Bank of America upgrade today, you are not reading the tea leaves, in my opinion. Could it pop up more? Pops up more. Warren will be licking his chops to sell more. I think this eventually gives it back, and I think it gives it back probably within a couple of days. Toronto it, bringing uh, a good... Let it breathe. Let it breathe, Warren. Yeah, let it, breathe. It, it needs. No, it needs. I, no I'm just going to say, you got you got it. He doesn't care. It got up to 26.48 on that initial pop. I mean, it's just so important when you have a day like today, you get an upgrade, you hit a level like that, you back off uh, 30, 40 cents. You got to get back up to that level. So I'm with Dennis on that one. If it gets back up there uh, and, and continues higher, maybe it has a shot to get near 27. But 
Right now, it doesn't look. It's fallen into yesterday's range already. So if it needs to hold 26, if it doesn't hold 26, I think you get a look at uh, the close of yesterday, 25, 67. Just not the greatest day for a double upgrade, too, with Warren selling. Last thing I want to just touch, of course, KeyBank downgrading Airbnb to sector weight. And we've been looking at this space. Also, we can talk about we've talked about the airlines. We've talked about cruise lines lodging, not looking good either. Just last week, I was trying to short Hilton. I was able to get it on a good day. It popped back, gave me an opportunity. Airbnb, I've been short uh, throughout the last week, too. I'm keeping an eye on these. These look like they're really going to start getting hit hard. Airbnb, Marriott, Hilton, those three. I'm looking for a continued downside. I mean, this Marriott, I mean, is pretty close to all-time highs here. So, I mean, if you've been sitting on this one, same thing with Hilton within, uh, you know, 10, 15 bucks of uh, all-time highs. So, uh, great. A- Airbnb has been uh, been falling off, too, a little bit. Good support. Well, it's kind of opening into some potential support here. To keep an eye on the 131 area uh for if you're looking for a possible area to hold in Airbnb. Uh, again, it goes to show you when these stocks get these pops on going the S&P, they're usually selling opportunities. And it yeah. was the case here as well. It's now given back the entire S&P gain. It had the gap and go up to 151. Just a complete gift here. Airbnb not looking great in the charts at all. All right, let's go ahead and do our wrap up here. What do you expect in the markets today, Dennis? Or can tech hold the tide? Because it seemed like yesterday the tech tide was holding everything up, and towards the end we got a little Ooh. bit of a rally, but of course overnight yeah. it's going to come down. What are you thinking about here, Dennis? Yeah, I, you know, I it, it could happen again. We could have those stocks come in. I mean, if the market's reading the tea leaves, it's going to be about debt, and I mean those companies don't have a lot of debt, so I don't think those get hammered the worst. And I think you're seeing it. You know, you're seeing it this morning. They are getting hit here. QQQ is down pretty hard. But again, if you kill consumer demand, those companies are trading at high valuations. So it just brings you back. It's got it. It's playing cautiously here right now. You know, everybody was raw, raw bullish last week when we got up to 430 on the spy. And they're like, yeah, the bears are dead. This is over. And I mean, now, boom, just like that, we're back down to the low. So bears are in complete control in this market. You can't get bullish stocks until the TLT actually starts to turn around. I thought it was starting to turn around. It is not. Obviously, you know, that's the case, making new lows here on the move as well. This long-term rates is a major issue for the market here. They need to stop the downward spiral somehow here. Um, If it continues, eventually maybe the Fed says something, you know, dovish, and maybe that turns it around. But I don't think it's like panic and sell all your stocks here either, because I do think this too shall pass. I think we are still near the top of the rate cycle. I don't think it's a centrally situation where we're going to 13%. He's spooking the entire market with those comments. He was on Squawk Box saying it here this morning. So you could call this the Rick Centelli sell-off here because everybody's talking about it. And it's kind of, you know, just, you know, he's saying over 10 years, it's just headline driving. So I don't think there's any chance we're going to 13%. Could we go to 6%? Possible. I mean, we're we're flying up through the, you know, the rates are flying. I'm looking at 30 or 4.85 here right now, which seems crazy to think about. So, you know, are we done? I think we're near the peak cycle, but you can't control long-term rates. I think the Fed is done, but what's happening in the long-term rates is a different animal here now. They need to stop the spiral. Uh, just, you know, technically speaking, we are, uh, we've had just a big sell-off since 4 a.m. Uh, two levels uh, right here. We're trading at yesterday's low, which uh, was defended late in the session because of the tech. So one potential area, but, and I think I mentioned it yesterday. I mean, you usually don't get big follow-throughs um, in the markets until they take out a weekly high or low. And, uh, Unfortunately, the weekly low is uh, 42.77, and uh, that's uh, within 20 handles here. So, take out that weekly low. You're looking at the, uh, you know, the upper right chart here. There's, uh, there's some definitely some more room here on the downside. I think for the bulls right now to even call it a, a minor victory today, I think maybe just close it over 4,300, get it back over, hold that. You know, hope maybe make a low in between that 77 and 94 and get a really rally back up and settle in the 4300 handle. But uh, as you said, uh, the bears are in control. And I mean, you can look at technicals and people talking about patterns and you can look at all that thing. The only thing that matters right now are long term rates. 
So we need long-term rates. If TLT turns around and starts to stage a comeback here, this market now is positively correlated with the TLT. So maybe tech can do its own thing to a certain extent, but overall here, we are clearly seeing that, you know, like, I mean, XLU, after losing 13 minutes, down another 1%. It's like, this is the weakest thing every day right now for like two, three days in a row. This is like, this is, people are hiding in this stuff. Thinking, yeah. I'm playing defense because I don't like the Apple valuation of 28 times and they're ripping their hair out. What's going on? They don't understand. <laughs> they don't, they're not listening to pre-market prep. They don't Classic financial advisor are, right oh, now this. is losing his hair going He doesn't white know. The classic quick. financial advisor isn't smart enough to look at the debt. So, yeah. I mean, this is what is happening. You have a repricing of debt here right now, and it's a serious issue for everything that has a lot of debt. And utility stocks, loaded with debt. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for us here on Pre-Market Prep. Like always, you guys can catch us tomorrow. Joel, who will we have on? Michael Hewson is going to be joining mm. us from across the pond from uh, oh, Chief Strategist over at CMC market so that will be uh that will be our guest tomorrow tommy lackey on thursday and then uh michelle krebs on friday uh i've been emailing her back and forth i go i don't think we're gonna get i don't think the strike's gonna be settled before you come on so you'll get some insight from michelle krebs on friday Awesome to have you. Like always, guys, you guys keep up with Joel Khan and Dennis Dick here. Give them a follow on Twitter at Spoose at Triple D Trader. Going to get them out of here. Going to go ahead and get you guys over to live trading. That's coming up next. But before I get you out of here, I want to tell you guys, of course, check out our digital investment uh, event. You guys don't want to miss it. The future of digital assets. If you guys want to go ahead and dictate the future. Discover your next digital asset investment. It's going to be in New York City, November 14th, 2023. You guys don't miss that. We're talking what? Just a month away from that. If you guys want to go to New York, just have a nice little excuse to get out there. I'll see you guys in New York City, November 14th.